In today's episode of the Healthy Christian Leader Podcast, Elias Mutali shares the importance of freedom in the life of individual Christians and the corporate body of Christ. God has made us so that we might be free to love Him and to serve humanity through the church. He points out the problems and potential pitfalls that can come from an overemphasis on legalism. And along with that, he points to a better way forward, a life and a church that's caught up in the grace and love of God, compelled towards living in Christian freedom, not legalism. If you have ever found yourself struggling with legalism, this is a talk that's going to encourage you. So let's jump into it together. Greetings, people of God. It is a joy to be with you again in this season of learning and growing together at the Aaron's Well. These gatherings are an important time of filling up because of the leakage factor. I don't know about you. You might be watertight, but I am not. And because I leak, I always look forward to the opportunity to refill. Our topic today is how do we lead the church to experience freedom through truth? And the Word of God comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 7 to the end of the chapter. The glory of the new covenant. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect a far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way? It makes us right with God. In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel could not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by receiving Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's our key verse. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his likeness. Let us pray. Our Father God, we come to you this morning 
continuing to seek the growth that is spoken of in this beautiful passage, the growth of transformation, that we may grow from one degree of glory to another. As human beings, we're so conscious, eternal God, of our frailties and inadequacies because of the fallenness of humanity. And often that makes us feel incapacitated in our life with you. We pray that as we study together, we will recognize the opportunity you have presented in the pathway of Jesus Christ, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we may indeed grow from one degree of glory to another. So lead us and guide us, because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Freedom is one of the most treasured elements of human life. Nations fight for freedom. Churches want to be autonomous. Couples and families love their independence. And even children want to be free from parental control. The eternal God appeared to have been aware of this human craving for freedom because he created Adam and Eve with the freedom to love and obey him or disobey. The United States, often referred to as the greatest country on earth, concludes their national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner, with this line on freedom. Oh, say does that Star-Spangled Banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Many African nations, including my country of Zambia, celebrate on the day that they ceased to be colonies. But the African Bible commentary notes that though many African nations are free, there are many citizens who do not enjoy the fruit of freedom. Many are still in bondage to such evils as nepotism, corruption, self-centeredness, crime, and the like. But clearly, all human beings aspire for freedom. It is no surprise then that the Bible has quite a bit to say about the subject. As our series on freedom continues, we will focus today on two freedoms, freedom for the individual and freedom for the church, free to love God, and free to serve humanity through the church. But why is this topic important in our day and time? I believe it is important because signs of spiritual bondage and oppression are all over the story of the church from its inception. Sometimes it even appears with no solution in sight. That is why every era of church watches with despair when news breaks that a prominent church leader has had to leave the ministry due to some indiscretion. The response of other leaders is sometimes gracious, but most of the time it leads to a tightening of rules and regulations and the creating of new ones in a bid to prevent a recurrence of the unwanted behavior. Still, it is a matter of time before news of another fall breaks out somewhere. This fallen reality is also visible in the pew. As pastoral ministers, we spend a significant amount of time attempting to help rebuild shattered lives. Many are oppressed by social conditions 
while others struggle with the issues of morality. For both leaders and the led alike, the standard reaction in most evangelical Christendom has been to fall into some type of legalism. But is this the way forward? Is this the productive way? Is this the way to achieve a holiness and a duress? The late F.F. F. Bruce disagrees. Bruce was one of the most distinguished scholars of the 20th century, holding the position of Ryland's professor of biblical criticism and exegesis at the University of Manchester in England. In his great book on Paul, the apostle of the heart set free, Dr. Bruce writes, the free grace of God, which Paul proclaimed is free in more senses than one. It's free in the sense that it is sovereign and unfettered. It's free also in the sense that it is held forth to men and women for their acceptance by faith alone. And it is free in the sense that it is the source and principle of their liberation from all kinds of inward and spiritual bondage of legalism on one hand and the bondage of moral anarchy on the other. While most church members can recognize moral anarchy in a church or community, few regular members can identify legalism. Yet Bruce puts legalism and moral anarchy on the same level as twin evils oppressing believers and the church. They prevent many believers from experiencing what he calls the exhilarating release effected by the gospel of the redeeming grace of God. In that sense, spiritual pronouncements may not be much different from the lofty proclamation of the star-spangled banner which touts the land of the free while many of its citizens live in severe social and economic bondage. My point, however, is not to be political, but merely illustrate a spiritual reality with an example in the physical realm, as the Bible often does. But continuing with the national example, we are seeing at the moment in the United States a tightening of immigration laws in a bid to purify its society. Churches often do the same thing in a bid to curb the moral lapses in the body of Christ. Ironically, the search for freedom from moral anarchy often results in bondage to legalism, argues Philip Yancey. He writes, according to Leo Tolstoy, a wonderful Russian Christian who battled legalism all his life, all religious systems tend to promote external rules or moralism. In contrast, Jesus refused to define a set of rules that his followers could then fulfill with a sense of satisfaction. The proof of spiritual maturity, Tolstoy contended, is not how pure you are, but your awareness of impurity. Because it's that very awareness that opens the door to the grace of God. Yet somehow, this freedom to appropriate the free grace of God has eluded the church in general, leaving believers and familiar with what Bruce has called the exhilarating experience of Christian freedom and victory. On that point, we turn to Jesus' words as recorded in John 8, 
30 to 32. After addressing a group of Jewish listeners about himself as the light of the world, the scriptures record that many who heard him say those things believed in him. But Jesus was not finished, and this is what he told them. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In this passage, Jesus presents one action and three results. The action is to hold on to his teaching. If you hold to my teaching, he, he said. He called on the new believers to cling to and continue in his word. According to Jesus, this continuity in his word leads to the confirmation of the status of believers as children of God. And that in turn leads to what the late A.W. Tozer called the knowledge of the Holy One. According to Paul, many Jews lived in bondage to the law and to sin. As Paul explains in his letter to the Romans, the Jews bragged about possessing the law, even though they were unable to meet its demands. How could they gain capacity to meet God's standards when they could not keep his law? The answer is they couldn't because no one can. They couldn't and neither can we. Romans 3.10 reminds us there is no one righteous, no, not one. Yet God's people the world over are on a quest for purity, marked by external signs of conformity to the life of Christ. But underneath lies a spiritual poverty of spiritually malnourished souls. According to Jesus, the way out of this quagmire is the proper knowledge of the Son of God. If the Son sets you free, he said, you shall be free indeed. In his application of the point, Jesus pointed to the continu continuation of sinful habits among the, his Jewish listeners as evidence of their lack of freedom. And this is often where the church gets wrong as well. Rather than create conditions where believers experience what Bruce calls the compelling love of God, rules are introduced to moderate behavior of believers and their leaders, leading to a slide into legalism. Legalism, the conformity to external rules without a true change of the heart, abounds in Christendom. Philip Yancey summarizes the challenges of legalism very well with these words. I have written about legalism partly because of my bruising encounters with it and partly because it represents such a powerful temptation to the church. Legalism stands like a stripper on the sidelines of faith, seducing us toward an easier way. It teases, promising some of the benefits of faith, but unable to deliver what matters most. He goes on. At first glance, legalism seems hard, but actually freedom in Christ is the harder way. It is relatively easy not to murder. Most Christians will have no trouble with that, and yet hard to reach out in love. Many Christians have a tough time there. It is easy to avoid the neighbor's bed, yet hard to keep a marriage alive. 
It is easy to pay taxes, he writes, yet hard to serve the poor. Which one is really harder? Legalism or Christian freedom? This reality of challenges, if unsolved, can lead to despair, can lead to despondency, and sometimes the decline of faith in some believers. Does grace have an answer here? Bruce argues, yes. He says that the experience of the grace of God leads to knowing the all-compelling power in one's life. And when love is the compelling power, there is no sense of strain or conflict or bondage in doing what is right. The man or woman who is compelled by Jesus' love and empowered by his spirit does the will of God from the heart, as Paul would say, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Rick Warren has written two books with the title of Drivenness in them. The first was The Purpose Driven Life, a high-selling bestseller, and he followed that up with The Purpose Driven Church. The issue of what drives a believer and the church needs to be a subject of frequent treatment in the pulpits today. In contemporary culture, it's money, budgets, and political correctness that seem to drive the societal agenda and quite often impacts the church in negative ways, robbing it of the freedom needed to be salt and light. Bruce explains that grace is manifested not only in the acceptance of sinners, but also in the transformation of those thus accepted into the likeness of Christ. Can this transformation be reached by believers? Is it the missing ingredient in the lives of most Christians and the church? When the woman at the well experienced transformation in the presence of Christ, she found freedom to share the good news about Jesus. She was able to run into the heart of the village and call everyone to come see the one who had told her everything about her life with the question, could this be the Christ? She was once a timid individual, afraid to encounter anyone. Following her transformation, she was liberated to go and minister to everyone she could meet. Jesus' ministry touched her life. And I think she could sing Elvis Presley's song more effectively, more effectively than I think Elvis himself ever did. He touched me, he wrote, and I am no longer the same. I think the woman at the well could say that in a far more authentic way than many Christians, certainly than Elvis Presley. If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. This salvation and transformation experience places believers in a position of favor with God. Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2. That therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
through whom we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand. And we now boast in the hope of the glory of God. At the corporate level, that is to say at the church level, this favor is the presence of the Holy Spirit among the believers, the Spirit who brings freedom according to that passage we read in, what, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It should follow quite naturally then that if the Spirit through regeneration facilitates individual freedom, His presence at the corporate level should expand that freedom, producing a more empowered group experiencing the joy of the Lord and a readiness to serve. But to achieve that requires a change in church culture. From the pretensions of purity to the admission of the first sentences in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 3-5 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This poverty of spirit is what drives us to God. It creates a desperation in us as we recognize we cannot rescue ourselves. So we run to God. At the feet of God, at the feet of Jesus, we mourn our sinfulness the same way we grieve the loss of a human life. And the meekness that is spoken of there takes away our pretensions of any form of righteousness, which even if we had, Isaiah says it would look before God like filthy rags. Certainly not much. In an atmosphere where there is no pretension, however, there is liberty. There's freedom to be real with one another, with no need for anyone to put down someone else for being less than they ought to be. Because everyone then is at the same level. That leads to Bruce asking an important question. Does this mean then that the Apostle Paul repudiates the idea of judgment? The answer is, of course, no. As Bruce notes, that in a moral universe, divine retribution must be reckoned with. Else could God judge the world? He points to the God-forbid response to Paul's question in Romans 6.1 about whether God's people can continue in sin so that grace may abound. Rather, he talks about the sign of the greatness of God's power to forgive, heal, transform, and commission for service. That God's redemptive truth leads to the freedom to love him dearly and serve him as efficiently as our capabilities enable us. It means that we can approach God with boldness as we are exalted in Hebrews 4 verse 16. We can do so with a sincerity of heart as spoken of in Hebrews 10 verse 22. That will lead to three wonderful blessings. The blessing of holding firm to our faith in a shaky world. Remember the words of Jesus in John 8. If you hold on to my teaching, then you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Blessing number one. Blessing number two. 
is the blessing of motivating others to acts of love and good works. The writer to the Hebrews says that because of this assurance that we have of being accepted before God, we can focus on stirring one another to love and good deeds so that everyone will love and serve God expectantly and joyfully rather than in a timid way worried about issues of inadequacy. We are all familiar with how Moses struggled when he was called by God. He was not sure he was up to the task. And God said, Moses, I will be with you. In the same way that God was with Moses, he is with us and every believer. And last but not least, he says, the joy of fellowship together with God's people will allow us to gather together as we often like to do in our various churches. We will gather with no sense of shame before one another or before God because the blood of Christ has made us clean. Understanding this truth will allow us to grow by leaps and bounds in our faith. That is why our title has been Experiencing Freedom Through God's Truth as we continue to love him. May the Holy Spirit open our eyes to allow us to understand the deep things of God. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode of the Healthy Christian Leader Podcast. And if you enjoyed it, why don't you help us out by giving us a review on iTunes or any of the other podcast uh, platforms that you're listening to this on. If you are looking to grow with like-minded Christian leaders, we have so many great opportunities for you to connect with us online. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to us on YouTube, and of course, subscribe to us on our various podcast platforms. We look forward to getting to connect with you in the future. Thanks.